This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 603 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. A tempest in a snow globe, Chan spends a day mostly unconscious, Miracle Man re-enters the Silver Age, a marvelous reprint, and the Cubs mostly come home to roost. This is How I Got My Way to Read Comics for Sunday, October 30th, 2022. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs, or subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher, and maybe find somewhere to leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Flashpoint Beyond, number six of six, by Johns, Sheridan, Adams, Zermanico, Janin, Fajardo Jr., and Belair. So we have two storylines to wrap up, and it's convenient that they merge in the finale. Bruce, on Earth-Zero, is fighting Rip Hunter and Corky in the Batcave over the magic snow globe. Bruce wants to save Flashpoint and his father. Inside that globe is Flashpoint, where Thomas and Martha Wayne, Batman and Joker, are fighting over taking a time bubble in order to go to the past and ensure that Bruce survives the shooting and not them. Rip explains that he understands Bruce's desire, but it's far too dangerous. The globe is filled with Dr. Manhattan energy, and allowing Flashpoint to survive will create a temporal disaster. In Flashpoint, Martha convinces Thomas that this is the right thing to do, just as Gilda Dent arrives with son Dexter, now in a Robin outfit, as a hostage. Gilda is all for the plan. Harvey was supposed to be the monster, not her. Back to Rip, who threatens to punish Bruce in the past, present, and future if he doesn't help him reintegrate the Flashpoint energy into hypertime. This is getting full of gobbledygook. (laughs) Meanwhile, Flashpoint is coming to a boil. Both the Atlanteans and the Amazons are under attack. Superman and his team are about to take on a huge Kryptonian invasion. Barry's corpse begins to vibrate. Corky throws his hat, now an actual raccoon, at Batman to distract him as Rip is about to destroy the globe. Dexter asks if they do change history, what happens to him? Thomas realizes that even though nothing matters, he has to save Dexter instead of going back. Martha sets off a bomb, destroying the time bubble, and Gilda moves to shoot Dexter. Martha grabs the gun and shoots Gilda instead. There's a cave-in, but Thomas, Martha, and Dexter survive. Thomas's act of accepting Bruce's death stabilizes the snow globe energy and Flashpoint continues. Bruce was convinced that Thomas would do the right thing and reveals a letter from Thomas. It's all about how you have to live your life for today and not the past. On Flashpoint, Thomas and Dexter suit up to fight the Kryptonian invasion with Martha watching in a glass cage. You two have fun out there, and if you need any help finding kryptonite, let me know. I have some connections you don't. We circle back to Rip's team doing cleanup. 
Corky says that Bruce needs his origin changed as punishment for what he did. Bonnie threatens Corky with a timeout during bloodlines if he doesn't behave. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Calling up a really bad crossover event. Rip notes that Bruce will soon have his hands full with his mother's family. That's punishment enough. We also learn that the 13 broke out of their time capsules during all this and are now being reintegrated into history. Who are the 13? Well, Jeff Johns loves obscure DC characters, so we're presented with labels for the following. I do want to thank uh, Comic Book Resources for the research on this. Judy Garrick, just introduced in the Stargirl Spring Break special, Jay Garrick's daughter, also a speedster. The Harlequin's son, possibly Mime and Marionette's son from Doomsday Clock. The Golden Age Aquaman, theoretically a new character, although Aquaman had adventures in the Golden Age. Quiz Kid, an obscure character from Superboy number 60 in 1957. The Golden Age Legionnaire, a new character possibly tied to the LSH. The Golden Age Mr. Miracle, a new character possibly tied to Scott Free. Betsy Ross, possible connection to Beth Ross, Prez from the Young Animal Revamp. Molly Pitcher, a mythic woman who fought in the Revolutionary War. Ladybug, Earth 8's version of Spider-Woman. Earth 8 is the Marvel analog world. Salem the Witch Girl, possibly the Earth 11 version of Clarion the Witch Boy. Earth 11 is where the genders are swapped. Cherry Bomb, a rejected LSH tryout from Legionnaires number 44 in 1997. And John Henry Jr., several possibilities there. He could be related to Steel, or an army general in World War II, or a vigilante character from New Frontier. And the Golden Age Red Lantern, another new character, but one who would reset the concept of the Rainbow Corps back to the Golden Age and presumably tie into Alan Scott. Of course, all of this will power the impending Golden Age titles, a new JSA, a Stargirl Mini, and a Golden Age special. In an epilogue, a teenager named Cleopatra Pack walks up to a secured door with Bubastis, Adrian Veidt's Pink Tiger from Watchmen. Pack is wearing an outfit very reminiscent of Vite. She tries to break in the door and there's an explosion. Guess we'll have to find the Watchmen another way, huh, bubs? Oh, and we see a spilled bottle of Nostalgia, the fragrance featured in Watchmen. Previews for the upcoming GA titles infer that Nostalgia might become an actual character. Could that be Cleopatra Pack? We'll find out soon. It seems to me, Mark, that they're just doing all sorts of contortions to try to work the Watchmen universe. Absolutely they are, yes. And I don't like it, but (laughs) that's just me. The Human Target, Book 8, from DC Black Label by King and Smallwood. Chance wakes up beside Ice. He realizes what is about to happen due to all his experience putting himself in mortal danger. Ice will be the initial target due to her powers, so Chance pushes her down as darts begin whooshing by. A dart gets through Ice's shield and she's out. He grabs a gun from under the bed and blows a hole in the hotel room door, then waits for a response. On the other side of the door is Rocket Red, the JLI member created by the Ruskies, essentially a Russian Iron Man. Red doesn't want Chance to scratch his armor as he just got a new coat of paint. Chance shoots anyways. That was not a good decision. Chance wakes up after being tranked and finds himself in Red's home with Red offering him a hot dog and a diet soda. 
Ice is still at the hotel, sleeping it off. Chance asks for something stronger, and they talk about having vodka for special occasions, which Chance explains this is. This is your last drink before I break your neck. They drink, then Red takes him out with his armor. Chance wakes up again, now outside next to mannequins with targets on them, which Red quickly takes out. There's an internal monologue about Russians and Napoleon. You have done something wrong. It is time for you to confess. Chance asks for the time, insults him, and then Red zaps him again. He awakens in the air with Red holding his shirt. What time is it? Maybe you should get watch, Mr. Chance. Where is Guy Gardner? I have no idea. Why do you ask? I do not like this answer. Red drops him. As Chance falls, he reminds us that he and Ice killed Guy after he attacked them, and they are covering it up. He also mentions that Guy seems to be the lead suspect in Chance's accidental poisoning. So, problem solved? Red grabs him again and explains that he was supposed to meet Guy for dinner a few days ago, and now he's missing. Oh, and Guy was having a fight with Chance. Chance insults him again, and Red drops him again. Chance awakens again, now tied up in a room in front of Red. I drink to your lies. Red has done his homework. Guy is truly gone. There's no satellite info showing he left Earth, and there's evidence of ring energy on Chance's neck. Red begins beating Chance, sans armor, to not kill him, so he will confess. Of course, Chance just insults him. Just as Chance passes out, Red's armor beeps. Chance wakes up back in his hotel room next to Ice, who's treating his wounds. Red explains that he just got a message from Guy. He had to leave for another dimension on a mission. This was faked by Ice, of course. So Red apologizes, saying he and Chance are now family. Chance is incensed, not just for the beatings, but for the fact that he just lost a very valuable day of his very short life. He begins beating the crap out of Red before Ice stops him. The final scene is Chance and Ice in bed as he coughs and then tells Ice he's fine. Miracle Man, The Silver Age, number one from Marvel by Gaiman, Buckingham, Belair, and Klein. In our last episode, we talked about the torturous route this comic book took to get to the shelves. Is it worth it? The first few Silver Age issues were actually created back in 1992, later reprinted in the 2010s. These are recreations of those, updated by Gaiman and Buckingham. Once we get to issue four, it will be brand new work. We begin in the year 2003, or 19-EM, Era of Miracles, after Miracle Man has remade the world. We meet a set of super teens, all children in a sense of Miracle Man, Jenda, Zapster, Duncan, Mist, and Kay. They're having fun play fighting and apparently destroying a simulacrum of New York City. Duncan plays the bad guy, a Galactus knockoff. Mist comes to collect them. It's time for him to awaken. They agree to come back and clean things up, then have a rematch tomorrow. They return to their castle in the sky just as young Miracle Man awakens. He's been dead for 40 years. At least that's what he believes. Miracle Man comes and welcomes him to the new world. Villain Garganza is dead, as is Kid Miracle Man. Miracle Man suggests he take it slow and rest, but young Miracle Man is too eager to wait. Winter, a ghostly child who's actually 20, floats in and says hi. Miracle Man chides her for not waiting, then walks young Miracle Man outside, showing him a massive room filled with artwork and sculptures where he meets... Miracle Woman, Miracle Man's consort, British Bulldog, the former Big Ben, an aged fire drake named Huey Moon, 
aliens from the Gulf worlds, and a member of the Queese race who brought you back from the dead. Young Miracle Man greets them all, then says he's tired and wants to take a nap, but wants to talk to Miracle Man first. Young Miracle Man launches into a tirade about the woman in that that filthy bathing suit and the colored gentleman and the man in the animal costume. He wants to know what is truly going on, which leads to a quick recap of Young Miracle Man's origin and story before Miracle Man tells him none of that ever happened. As we already know, they are both clones created by Gargunza as part of a UK intelligence program involving alien tech. Young Miracle Man died after an A-bomb attack in 1963. Miracle Man survived it but lost his memory, becoming an ordinary citizen for 20 years before the events in the previous Miracle Man series. Miracle Man and the Queese work together to recreate the world and rebuild Young Miracle Man. Oh, and Miracle Man is now the monarch of this new world. Young Miracle Man asks for some time alone and then transforms into young boy Dickie crying in his bed. Outside, the teens talk about Young Miracle Man, then get back to their game. Now, the rest of this book is from Buckingham's 1990 sketchbook with 2022 updates. Since Miracle Man was originally a knockoff of Fawcett's Captain Marvel, it's quite the coincidence that DC just repeated a Shazam-centric book which introduced Black Adam, whose movie just came out. Marvel Family Comics No. 1, reprint from 1945. The book begins with the Black Adam story and also reintroduces the Marvel family, Cap, a.k.a. Billy Batson, who was bestowed his powers by the wizard Shazam. Captain Marvel Jr., a.k.a. Freddie Freeman, a handicapped kid who is saved from near death when Billy shares his power with him. Mary Marvel, a.k.a. Mary Batson, Billy's long-lost sister who learns the magic works for her, too. And Uncle Marvel, a.k.a. Dudley, the Batson's daffy uncle who's convinced he also has power but does not. So he runs around in a Captain Marvel suit and gets into trouble. Meanwhile, we get Black Adam's origin. He got his powers from the wizard back in ancient Egypt but turned into a tyrant, forcing Shazam to banish him to the farthest star in the universe. Well, it took thousands of years to fly back, but here he is, ready to create havoc. Unfortunately, they all have the same level of strength, so it's a draw. Until Dudley tricks Adam into saying Shazam, turning him back into a mortal who's thousands of years old and quickly turns to ash. This is followed by a few quick unrelated comic strips and a text story. Now, most comics did that at the time. Then, the Marvel family have a goofy adventure with a baby left on Billy's doorstep. Since this is a facsimile of the original, it includes all the ads from the time, which are almost as entertaining as the stories. The back cover has our heroes hawking Mechanics Illustrated, which was also a Fawcett publication. Fables number 156 from DC Black Label by Willingham Buckingham and Leia Loha. We check in with Peter and Tank hanging out at a diner. Peter is in search of food that he remembers on Earth, but wants to find it without Tink's magic. He also mentions how Tink is in the middle of millennia of servitude and would take revenge on Peter if she could. At that moment, Jack of the Green enters with her bow drawn. She knows that someone harboring evil is in the room and plans to take action. Unfortunately, NYPD takes action as well after a glory-hogging cop steps in before he was given orders to do so. Jack is confused. Aren't they on the same team? The cops then ask Peter for some info, who reciprocates by having Tink decapitate them. 
Meanwhile, Connor Wolf and his mentor are at odds with Mr. Sam. The mentor assumes he's evil because he's black, and Connor finally figures out he's picked the wrong guy to emulate. Connor turns into a gigantic monster, bites the guy's head off, and invites Sam to return with him to the wolf home. Over to Blossom, who is introduced to Hearn's father, a godlike being. Ambrose returns to the bookworm's home with plans to turn it into a university. He notes that the bookworm is a scary monster, and since his family is the boss of all monsters, bookworm works for him now. Back at the wolf home, Bigby and Snow are introduced to the new characters who welcome them in. Snow is still worried about Winter, who's trapped in the teacup world. Since she has no powers there, she wonders if she could die. Next issue will apparently involve a time jump. I really like this one. Absolutely. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at SFPPN. Check out Instagram at SFPodNetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.